What's better than free money? How you choose to spend it, of course. Right now, open a new CQ checking account and we'll give you $250 to spend however you like. Upgrade those headphones, splurge on concert tickets, or maybe upgrade to ad-free streaming. The choice is yours. And extra cash isn't all this credit union offers. Do your banking, build credit, and invest in your future. All with CQ. Visit CQMD.org today. That's S-E-C-U-M-D.org today. HudsonRiverRadio.com Hey, everybody, and welcome to The Silver Screen. Here we talk about movies and all kinds of entertainment, and we have fun, and we are so glad you're here with us today. Today we have a cool topic to talk about, and we are super excited, but before we get to that, I just want to tell you that if you like what you hear, and I hope that you do, you can subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss anything. Also, we have a Facebook page, but in the meantime, sit back, Relax and let the fun begin. Hey, Neil. Hey, I'm ready for some fun. I'm ready for some fun. I am super excited about this topic. I've been working on this for a long, long time. It's This is going to go on for podcasts. <laughs> this, <laughs> this is going to be part one, I'm so sure, unless something really weird happens. Um. I just wanted to let you all know that I rewatched Uncle Buck the other day, and oh my God, it's still so good. It is such a funny movie. Um, and I wanted to tell everybody that the Warwick Drive-In is open, depending on when you listen to this podcast, but it's open for a lot of the year, so I'm pretty sure it's going to be open when you hear this. Uh, today, we are talking about fake slash fictitious bands. It's so interesting to me that many of these start out with young girls or guys and someone discovers them and molds them into a popular rock band. And and I don't think that happens so much in real life, or at least it doesn't now, right? It seems to happen all the time in the movies and has <laughs> for a long time. You know, the, the nobody gets discovered in the soda shop and next thing you know, they're a national hit on television or something. Yeah, I mean, yeah, when yeah. we do the Rock and Roll History Show on Fridays, which you all should listen to, by the way, um, we it's we research songs, and pretty much all the songs I feel like I've researched for the past, whatever, two, three years, have been, you know, bands, that you'd read the history of the band, and they sort of get together, and then somebody leaves, and then they get another person. It's not like the movies at all. The overnight sensation that takes years to occur really <laughs> exactly kind of the, kind of exactly same. so most of these have really good soundtracks because studio musicians were used and some have songs written by famous songwriters and you can pretty much count on the fact that there's going to be up and then a down and then an even out to the plot line but i guess that's kind of the same for most movies the more I researched this topic, the more movies I found. And that was really fun for me. Um, I really only thought there was going to be a handful of those. And more and more just kept appearing. And I'm super excited. And now I have a super long list of stuff that I have to catch up on. Well, if I had to pick the two things that are the most important in your life, I would say movies and rock and roll. So how could this possibly go wrong? 
It's gonna be so, it's gonna be a party. Yeah. It's gonna be a party. It's so much fun. I'm very excited about this. Uh, FYI, a few TV shows snuck in here because they just needed to be included, but probably not until part two. So let's get this party started. The first one I want to talk about is Velvet Goldmine from 1989. The cast includes Ewan McGregor, Christian Bale, Jonathan Reese, Tony Collette, and Eddie Izzard, among others, of course. The title is from a song by David Bowie with sexual references, and I'm not going to go over the lyrics. You can look it up. I just was looking at them, and it was, yeah, I'm not going to go over the lyrics. <laughs> um, it was supposed to be made up of David Bowie songs, but Bowie refused to have his music used. The soundtrack used songs by the New York Dolls, Iggy, T-Rex, Roxy Music, and many more. David Bowie was ambivalent about gold, uh, Velvet Goldmine on its release. According to Bowie, and this is a quote, he said, When I saw the film, I thought the best thing about it was the gay scenes. They were the only successful part of the film, frankly. Hmm. Okay. All right. But, it uh, was hmm. directed by Todd Haynes, who also directed Carol, which was a few years ago, um, which was also a great movie. It is set in Britain during the glam rock days of the early 70s and tells the story of a fictional bisexual pop star named Brian Slade, who fakes his own death. It has sort of a similar plot line to Almost Famous and Eddie and the Cruisers in that there is a journalist who follows a band and ends up learning things about the band and also about themselves. This is one of the only movies that I know of that Christian Bale uses his real accent. He was born in Wales and has a Cockney accent despite growing up in various locations across the UK. <clears throat> According to Medium.com, Brian Slade played by Jonathan Reese Myers, is a stand-in for David Bowie. It sure seems like the Slade part of the name, this is a quote, all of this is a quote from medium.com. It, it sure seems like the Slade part of the name is a subtle nod to the British glam rock band of the same name, who scored a hit with Ballroom Blitz. Uh, let me but, stop you right there. I'm, Ballroom Blitz was by the suite. Slade did... Come on and feel the noise, and Mama, we're all crazy now. Oh. Around the same time, you know, early seventies, Ballroom Blitz was the suite. Slade, a different band. But as soon as I saw Brian Slade, I was like, I get the the info. Yeah, the reference, the reference. Yeah. definitely, definitely. Okay, so just, I'm going to have to email medium.com. Yes, and correct them. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, this much is canon from the mouth of Haynes himself. Just the same, Brian Slade also parallels a few other artists, ones that are pretty apparent if you're way into this stuff. For instance, there's a lesser known glam rocker named Joe Bryant, who exploded and then imploded, much like Brian Slade in, in his own tragic story of hysteric hype, followed by indignant backlash. Joe Bryant was openly gay and also seems to have inspired some of the visuals in Velvet Goldmine, especially the album art. We did a show with the director of the movie. Is the name, is the title of the movie Joe Bryant? Or is there more to it? I think there's more to it. I can't remember now. Anyway, Joe Bryant was this wildly popular um, band who I was really into in high school. I went to see them and stuff. And nobody knows what I'm talking about when I talk about it. But 
he was a rock star. He was openly gay. He was, as far as I know, the one who would only rock star at that point who had really admitted that he was gay. And uh, in in this, when I was rewatching this the other day, the um, the journalist guy picks up an album in a in a record store, and I said, "Oh my God, it's a Sobriath album." It's not. They they but they copied it like almost identically. <laughs> that, um, that's what I remember about. Uh, I saw I saw the Velvet uh, Goldmine. I saw the film a long time ago. You know, shortly after it came out, I think it was on you know late night cable or something like that. And I just happened to you know, upon it, and I and I as watching it, I said, "Yeah, they're that close, but it's not it's not the original." But it's so close, you wouldn't know the difference if you weren't, if you hadn't been around then, you wouldn't know. Or right. If you hadn't been that right. tuned into it of that whole scene like I was, you wouldn't you wouldn't notice the difference. So, so I, I thought that was pretty, you know, cool because they probably couldn't secure the rights to a lot of these things. Or as in David Bowie's case, he outright refused to be a part of it. So they had to work away, you know, around it some way. And I, I thought they did a great job of it. I thought, you know, the 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 settings and and the the visuals were, were spot, spot on. on. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So Kurt Wilde is based on E Pop, and according to Medium dot com, so check me if I if I misquote them or if not that I misquote them if they misquote themselves. Um, the American Kurt Wilde, played by Ewan McGregor, is largely a mishmash of Lou Reed and Iggy Pop. Lou Reed is the one who underwent electroshock therapy as a teen in order to treat his homosexual tendencies. Iggy Pop is the one who was raised in a trailer park in Nowheresville, Michigan. Both of them battled heroin addiction. Both of them brought a punky and distinctly American grittiness to the London glam rock scene. Put them together, come up with a kick-ass name like Kurt Wilde, and you get the perfect romantic foil for gender-bending superstar Brian Slade. The article goes on to say, the one major area where Kurt Wilde diverges from these two real-life inspirations is in the whole romantic foil thing. There have always been rumors packed into various tell-alls, but most trusted accounts from the period state that Bowie was about 90% straight. Bowie himself eventually copped to having always been a closet heterosexual. Most agree that he didn't get serious with guys, let alone Biggie Pop or Lou Reed, neither of whom claim there's any truth to these rumors, especially Iggy Pop, who's never been into men at all. However, in two scenes in Velvet Goldmine, they they cram even more real life figures into the Kurt Wilde com, 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 composite. First, there's the scene that alludes to Mandy finding Brian and Kurt asleep together in the nude. And that's a nod to a story Angie Bowie included in one of those above-mentioned tell-alls about allegedly finding her husband enjoying a post-coital nap with Mick Jagger. The other is the scene in which Brian performs the titillating stage stunt where he drops to his knees in order to pluck Kurt's guitar strings rather suggestively with his tongue. That moment is more famously based on a real incident, but Bowie performed the act. 
on then guitarist Mick Ronson, with whom there was n- never any rumors of offstage involvement. That's a very, very famous photo, too. I think uh, I think it was Mick Rock, the famous... Uh, yes, it was. Uh, rock pho- photographer took the picture. Yeah, yeah. So first see this movie, if this is of any interest to you. And if it is, then go to read the article entitled All the Young Dudes, the Who's Who of Velvet Goldmine in Medium.com. It describes who all the characters are based on. And it's super interesting. Uh, Critic Janet Maslin, having seen the film at the New York Film Festival, made it a New York Times critic's pick. Causing it, calling it a dazzling, surreal rock version of Citizen Kane with an extraterrestrial rosebud and saying it brilliantly reimagines the glam rock 70s as a brave new world of electrifying theatrical theatricality and sexual possibility to the point where identifying precise figures in this neo-psychedelic landscape is almost besides the point. Velvet Goldmine tells a story the way operas do, blazing with exquisite yet yet abstract passions and with quite a lot to look at on the side. According to the critic Peter Travers, Haynes creates Velvet Goldmine with a masturbatory fever that demands dead-on details and fashions a structure out of Citizen Kane. It's a film that works best as a feat of sight and sound, recreating an era as gorgeous a gorgeous carnal dream celebrating the art of the possible. Did you see, so you saw it. Did did you see any um, similarities between Velvet Goldmine and Citizen Kane? I think what they're probably saying is, yeah, it, it uses like, not kind of like flashbacks. You know, there's time jumps, I guess is what they call them now. Flashbacks um, to where, they go back to a different point. It kind of shows you how the character got to where they are in the present. And it, it jumps, you know, back and forth like that. Kind of like the way uh, Citizen Kane and, you know, the, uh, the beginning, of course, with the rosebud, you know, and you say, well, what was that all about? And then it's obviously revealed at the end. But that yeah, that kind of thing, like the, the, the it's not linear. It, it jumps around, um to, to you know, explore the character's uh, development, I guess you would say. So does that refer to the journalist going back and researching? Is that what causes the that flashbacks? Part, honestly, I don't remember what that, you know, I don't remember the journalist at all. <laughs> to be honest. Oh. And it was 25 he, years ago that I saw it. So, you know. Okay. You'll, you'll he was to, Christian Bale, the journalist. Okay. So, uh, but. Yeah, no, I, that that part, I knew it jumped around, but I don't remember the exact... And again, I, I think I might have tuned in and I missed the very beginning. Yeah. And um, So you might have missed the introduction by the journalist yes. who was going to look up, who was trying to find the real truth about whether he killed himself or not. Yeah, that, that part I don't... Yeah, I just remember going... And I didn't know anything about... The, I'd heard about it, but I didn't really know much about it. So And it, when I stumbled upon it really um as i was channel surfing and i said oh wait no that guy's iggy pop okay oh wait there's you know they were alluding to some guy like bowie or oh oh and there that guy that's mick jagger you know that kind of thing and i thought it was funny with the uh, kurt wilde as the guy's name there there was a composer and he was married to lada lenya the this is you know the 
uh, I guess she was famous many years ago. Her husband was Kurt Weil. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> and um, they actually, they, they lived up here where in our area here, you know, Hudson River Radio in Rockland County. And um, so that that's pretty cool. But yeah, I thought, I think, I thought that was clever, you know, that instead of wild, they, they said wild. So I've been telling you, Kirk Wild and uh, Brian Slade. Is that what his first name? Yeah. So the, the perfect, yeah. perfect names. Perfect. Perfect names, Brian. Yeah. Um, definitely perfect name. I would go see anybody in a band that had a name like that. I'm, so, I'm sorry it's been taken. I, I would have I would have used it myself. But. Yeah, totally. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess. And, and they also, I think I mentioned too. They 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 use some original, uh, uh, the original songs on the soundtrack. I guess the ones that they could get uh, secure the royalties or the rights to, I should say. But a lot of it was re-recorded versions of the song, and. Um, but the, but sung by the, the cast members, you know, actually uh -huh. sung by uh, like redone actors. by them. Yes, yeah, yeah. And with with current at that point, you know, uh, musicians who were like, you know, big at the time. And this would be late late nineties, is when the film was made. So they, they were real musicians, but they weren't originally from the seventies. They were like you know twenty some odd years you know, later. I, I bet the. David Bowie saying they couldn't use his material really threw a wrench into that film. <laughs> I, I, could, I can't believe it didn't. You know that <laughs> they must have been furious and frustrated and confused. But I, actually, I probably made it almost a little better because it was. They had to be a little more creative, at least in my, you know, estimation. Yeah, the way yeah, I looked at it. yeah. And then it wasn't like a Bowie film or a, you know, a um, Iggy Pop film. Right. It was more. I don't know. I mean, I feel like if I had, if, and this is not true, but if I didn't like David Bowie and I saw that it was a Bowie film, I might not go to see it. But here's this cool rock and roll film. I don't know who these characters are. I'm going to go check it out. <laughs> yeah. You know, well, it was also a lot in, in the same way that the film Almost Famous, which I am imagining we're going to talk about a little later. But yeah. they, they, they they based all the characters, especially the bands and, and the musicians, on real people, but they didn't call them that. They, they had a fictitious name and they had different, you know, whole, but they were really based on, it, it was kind of, the whole story was based on on a real situation. But again, they they, um, they dramatized it. And so it, it makes it, I think it makes it, yeah, to a wider audience, it makes it more. Uh, yeah, definitely. Or whatever, yeah. But the, the one part that I did like is they actually used real Roxy music songs in it. So and 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 when I heard that come on, I was boom, I was I'm sold. I'm I'm good because I I was a Roxy music fan way back then too in the early '70s when I actually saw them open for uh, someone. I believe it was Jethro Tull at Madison Square Garden. I had no idea who they were. Right. And I they came out and they were dressed in like these spacesuits from you know, they looked like they were from outer space and they were playing like fifty style rock and roll. Awesome. And I was like, What is going on here? I, yeah. Yeah, you know, I was like, This is so a little bit later somebody said, Hey, have you ever heard this and they played me a Roxy music record? And I said, 
I get it now. I totally get it. This is cool. And uh, just a side note, they recently, uh, at the end of last year, they did a their 50th anniversary tour, and I got to see them again at Madison Square Garden. So it was a nice, neat little bookend. I'd seen them in Very between nice. two, uh, several times, but it was that you know that opened and closed the uh, the the Roxy Music saga, at least in my life. Uh, are we gonna play a song? I think we can arrange that. Okay, cool. How Let's about, do it. How about a Roxy Music song from Velvet Goldmine? Very cool. Good. Virginia Plain by Roxy Music. From love it. Love it. Velvet Goldmine. Yeah. Love no, it. When I heard them playing that, I was like, okay, I'm sold. You got me hooked. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, I think it's time for a break and don't go away because we have so much more movies and music to talk about. We're going to have so much fun. <laughs> we'll be right back. This is HudsonRiverRadio.com. Be sure to check out Hudson River Radio's Shaving Cream Podcast. Barbara Viol plays the funniest novelty tracks and explores their backstories, guaranteed to make you laugh. Check out Shaving Cream on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's better than free money? How you choose to spend it, of course. Right now, open a new CQ checking account and we'll give you $250 to spend however you like. Upgrade those headphones, splurge on concert tickets, or maybe upgrade to ad-free streaming. The choice is yours. And extra cash isn't all this credit union offers. Do your banking, build credit, and invest in your future. All with CQ. Visit CQMD.org today. That's S-E-C-U-M-D.org today. This is HudsonRiverRadio.com, your local Rockland County station. Hey, welcome back to The Silver Screen. We are talking about a fabulous topic. Today we are talking about movies, about fake bands. (laughs) I love this. Great. (laughs) I am in my glory. 
Uh, the next one I wanted to talk about is Hedwig and the Angry Inch. Mm. Yeah, this movie was directed and stars John Cameron Mitchell, who also played Andy Warhol in the 2016 season of HBO's Vinyl, and also in the 2016 documentary Danny Says, alongside Danny Fields, Alice Cooper, and Iggy Pop. Now, you know what I'm going to be doing tonight, because I've never seen that. That's, I've never heard of that. That one I never, never heard of it. I mean, you know, that, that sounds right up my alley, too. I mean, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, Hedwig and the Angry Inch is a 2001 American musical comedy drama film. It is based on Mitchell's and Stephen Trask's 1998 stage musical, Hedwig and the Angry Inch. It follows the story of a gay East German teenager who falls in love with an American soldier. The soldier convinces him to have sex reassignment surgery so that he can go to America as the soldier's wife. The surgery is botched, ergo the angry inch. Ouch. On their first wedding anniversary, the soldier leaves Hedwig for a man. And on the same day, it is announced that the Berlin, Berlin Wall has fallen and Hedwig has gone through all of this for nothing. Super sad. Um, in America, Hedwig meets a young man who she, she is a she now, grooms to be a rock star using her music. After they split up, Hedwig follows him on his tour while pursuing a copywriter lawsuit against him because he stole her music. It it's been received most favorable. It received mostly favorable reviews. Chris Kaltenbach from the Baltimore Sun wrote, "This is Mitchell's show, and his performance lives up to his triple billing as writer, director, and star." I was lucky enough to see this on Broadway, starring Neil Patrick Harris. <laughs> I, I was going to say, was it did the the film came out first, and then the then the the, the stage production, or was it um, or the other way around? The other way around. Okay. Yeah, yeah, because the film was made and or released in uh oh, I just lost it. Uh, two thousand one. And the stage musical was in 1998. Okay, because I saw the film, uh, I think it was in in, in 2001, and it was a part of a film festival. And they had, uh, afterwards, they had Stephen Trask, who had written it all, you know, and written the music. And he did a QA and a afterwards, so it was really pretty cool. And I I, I didn't know anything about it, really, at the time. And and, uh, that's why I guess I wasn't sure of, of, you know, who came first. Yeah, did, the did, play was a. Didn't Ali Sheedy play uh, Hedwig at one point on stage, like later on? I don't know. A lot of this was on for a while, and then I think it came back to Broadway uh, when I saw it with Neil Patrick Harris because oh. that wasn't so long ago. And uh, yeah, a lot of people have been in it. Mm, I, I don't know. I, I just I remember, know. you know, because well, you know. Well, again, this was, you know. Uh, Wait, so are you telling me that a female played? Yeah, that, that's what I thought was interesting, that it was actually huh. a female playing a male turned female part. <laughs> yeah, I feel I, I don't know how I feel about that. 
<laughs> to tell you the truth. Well, you know, that I didn't see it. I just remember uh, reading about yeah. it. Yeah. You know, the ads Interesting. For it. Yeah. Interesting. Anyway, we've got a song to play from that. So let's do that. Don't you know me, Kansas City? I'm the new Berlin Wall. Try to tear me down. I was born on the other side. Of a town ripped in two I made it over the great divide Now I'm coming for you Enemies and adversaries They try and tear me down You want me, baby, I tell you But try and tear me down Well, that's pretty fun. What do you think, Neil? I, I really enjoyed that movie, yeah. And I'd forgotten, I think Stephen Trask was also in it as part of Hedwig's band. I think he was the guitar player in the band on screen. And I, you know, I guess he's a guitar player in real life, and that's how he wrote the songs. But I'd almost forgotten about that. And I, I remembered while we were listening to it that, he, yeah, he actually starred, so to speak, as, as one of his uh, band members. It's a sad story. I mean, the it whole... Is. It is, really, yeah. Yeah, the whole soldier part and the botched surgery. Oh, anyway. Yeah. yeah, no, it's not a feel-good movie. Let's put it that way. No, way. it's not. It's not. But it, it's a lot of fun. <laughs> it's a oh, lot of glitz oh. and glamour. Oh, yeah. yeah. No, definitely. I, you know, I, I, I had almost forgotten about it. And when you brought it up, I was like, oh, right, yeah. <laughs> So we can't talk about fake movies without talking about the monkeys. But there is a movie, including the monkeys, called Head yep. uh-huh. that they did. Yep. So we can't talk about that because they were at them. This is very complicated. There is a movie called Daydream Believer. And this is tricky because Daydream Believer, a 2000 movie, is the story of the monkeys, which is a dramatic retelling of the beginnings of a real band based on a fake band that became a real band. It's based on a 1996 book, Hey, Hey, We're the Monkeys by Harold Bronson. I I think it's fair to include this. Oh, well, I was going to say yes, because when they, I think... When, when they were planning the show, the monkeys, they hadn't picked anybody to be in it. There was no real band. So the, it turned out that the actors that they picked could play. 
they became a real band, but they weren't to begin with. They 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 were no. It wasn't two of them could way. play in the beginning, right? But they that was I guess that helped in their selection of, uh, in, into the cast. But that wasn't it wasn't meant to really become a real band. And I guess their popularity. They said, well, we're halfway there. We got two guys who can play. Why not? You know make it up make it real so yeah no it, i think it totally counts because it wasn't meant as a real band it this is an odd exception but they did become a real band so yeah totally yeah real. so that makes it even more interesting to me um two of the guys could play uh mickey dolenz was was an actor and um davy jones was like a uh burlesque broadway hoofer yeah, kind of guy they, they, were, they were both like child actors both yeah i mean in in separate country i mean Davey jungle Dolan. boy or something wasn't well, that mickey was mickey dolan's yeah circus boy yeah. I believe. circus boy yeah yeah and, yeah. Um, yeah they were both you know child stars and, and davy jones was on stage in london or in, in in britain and i think he was in um oh what was it the artful dodger and whatever that oh yeah was. oliver oliver thank you yeah, yeah. He played he played that part uh on stage so they they were not uh they were no strangers to being you know, acting the other right, two, but those two couldn't play. No, no. It, uh, it, uh, Mickey Dolan's had to actually learn, and it turned out he had an aptitude for it. So that was very fortuitous, I guess. That uh, and I guess they could sing. Well, between the two of them, uh, Davy Jones and Mickey Dolan's, they were actually the voices, in my opinion. Yeah, and and Dolan's almost more so than than Davy. Yeah, what, what was the voice of the monkeys, and ergo the voice of like that era of the sixties in my estimation that he was the one who sang Pleasant Valley Sunday. And he sang the, 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 the theme song he, he sang last train to Clarksville, you know, so not, not that Davy Jones didn't have his, his share too. I mean, daydream believer, of course, is, you know, uh, uh, uh. <laughs> I, I know he's that, still that in my heart. <laughs> yeah, that, 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 that one's a big one, a big hit with the ladies. I know. Oh my gosh. I, yeah. I, I, I can see why. I mean, but, uh, yeah. so good. But uh, this yeah. was a real bone of contention with the with the producers, though, because they did not want the band to play their own stuff at all um, from the very beginning. And they when they first signed the band to or the, you know, the group of people to the TV show, they, that was a stipulation that they were not going to be playing their own stuff. And, and the, um, the other two guys, Peter and. Oh, Peter and, and uh, Mike, Mike Nesmith and Peter and Mike Thor. Nesmith. Yeah, they they were really angry about this and fought this all the way through. The, the movie is really good. I really I have seen this a couple times now. It it, it kind of drives. I'm a big monkeys fan. Let's oh, just so get that out there. Uh, yeah. Oh yeah. No, we we are you know we are we are prime generation. <laughs> so it, it, while watching this, it's as much fun as it is. It's really frustrating to me because it's not them and it should be mm. them but then it wouldn't be the same so fine whatever anyway it stars a bunch of people that i don't know and have never seen in anything else um tom jicha of sun the sun centennial the critic wrote that daydream believers is even hokier as a movie than the monkeys were as a group however approached with moderate expectations it can be mindless summer fun and i personally totally agree with this review 
if you are any kind of a monkeys fan, you will enjoy this. Not that it's a great movie, but it's a lot of fun. And, you know, it's really interesting to see how it all comes together. I think it's supposed, you know, it's based on a book. So I'm hoping that it's actually based on hopefully a lot of fact. I'm not really sure. But um, I can't play you a song from the soundtrack because all the songs that they use are, they use the monkey songs. So. Oh, I see. So, so they used the real group's music, but they had fake guys yes, playing them. Oh, yes. yeah. All very confusing. Mm. So has anybody seen Head? Have you seen Head, Neil? Yes, I have, actually. I, it, it is, if you, you know, rent it or, or whatever, go, you know, stream it or whatever. If you say, oh, do not expect to see <laughs> the TV show. That I, I will say that right up front. It is not really, aside from the fact that it is the monkeys, it is much more psychedelic. It, psychedelic. Yeah. That's what I thought. It's all the drug trip kind of references they couldn't use on TV at that time because it just <laughs> would, it would not have fly, you know it would not play in Peoria as they say it would it would not have you know hit mainstream and it it probably they wouldn't have been as popular because I think I think as the band grew and and its audience grew it, it may have become okay but by that point. There were a lot of other things, I guess, to watch. But I thought it was a very cool movie. If nothing else, a period piece. But uh, I thought the music was cool, too, that they used in them. It was, you know, they used, you know, the monkey's songs. I believe I even had the uh, the LP when it was available. But, yeah, it, it, it's you're not going to see, uh, you know, they're not going to be, you know, those wacky monkeys. They're, it's It's really crazy. I think it's good, though. I like it. So are any of the songs like songs that we would know or not if we had... I saw Head a million years ago, probably when it first came out, because I am a big fan. Um, I don't... I, I remember that it was very psychedelic. I remember that it wasn't my monkeys. <laughs> yeah, there, there, there wouldn't... I don't believe they had a hit single from the movie or from the soundtrack. I mean, they've probably gotten more of an audience as time has gone on, as as nostalgia and people go back and say right you know oh wow you know how did i miss that that was you know that's really cool and and now it fits into their uh, whole overview of that it really didn't originally that the, the movie was so unlike the monkeys but now now it fits now you say oh now i get it knowing what we know now so I'm just looking at some of the song titles from the movie. And um, yeah, I don't know any of these. Porpoise Song, mm -hmm. Diddy Diego, Circle Skies, Supp Supplic Supplico. Can You Dig It? Can Gravy, you dig it? Yeah. Superstitions can... as we go cool along. Song. Yeah, I don't know any of these. Yeah, so uh, yeah. Can You Dig It is a pretty cool song. It's, again, very, very psychic. It almost sounds like uh, like Raga, like a, you know, like a sitar, you know, very guruish if, if that's a word um we'll take we'll take it <laughs> i i could play it for you if you'd like let's play a little bit of it i'm curious Do you know 
to sing that you can dig it is to make your soul a fire. Heaven, can you dig it? Do you know? Pretty trippy there, huh? Very trippy. Can you dig it? I can. <laughs> I can dig it. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, I guess that that would not be what like teeny bopper monkey fans would would not dig it. <laughs> they would just say, "What? What is going on here?" Yeah. But I and I would say that me too, probably. But um, you know, I get it now. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so we better take a break. Oh, my gosh, we have so much more. We're definitely going to be doing more next week. But let's take a break and stay right here. We'll be right back. HudsonRiverRadio.com Be sure to check out the Rock and Roll History Show podcast. Brian Horowitz and the Crambones explore the history of rock music and the true stories behind your favorite hit songs. Check out the Rock and Roll History Show on Apple Podcasts, iHeart, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. HudsonRiverRadio.com Hey, so welcome back to the Silver Screen. We are talking about Movies about fake bands, and I am in my glory. <laughs> Let's just do this for the rest of the year. <laughs> I, I think we probably could. but We probably uh, could, yeah. And I would not complain. So, The Idol Maker is my next movie. Oh, okay. I don't know this one, so tell me about it. I, I'm not surprised. <laughs> This may be a guilty pleasure, but it is my guilty pleasure. <laughs> it is hokey and so much fun. And I love this movie so much. And I bought the soundtrack and played it to death on my turntable. And it's, it, I just absolutely adore it. It's a 1980s American music, musical drama starring Ray Sharkey, Peter Gallagher, Paul Land, Tova Felchu, and Joe Pantol Pantoliano. It takes place in 1959. Ray Sharkey as Vinny Vicari with his friend Joe as Gigi Pilato try to break into the rock and roll music business, which was fairly new at the time. They meet a young musician named Tommy D and groom him to be a star, which actually happens. <laughs> and wanting to grow his managerial business, he meets another young man, Cesar, played by Peter Gallagher, who he also takes on. I adore the soundtrack and it includes a Darlene Love song. So I just think that's amazing. I love watching the early days of rock and roll and how stars are made. Even though it's fiction, it's based on some reality as far as I know. It involves payola, where a manager pays a radio station to play their band songs, which you can't do anymore because it's wildly illegal. Unfortunately, I can't find it streaming anywhere, so I can't tell you how to watch it, just in case I'm piquing your interest. 
I do have a DVD copy in my storage unit, but that's not doing you any good. <laughs> when I worked at Geffen Records, we had a producer come in who used one of our offices temporarily. And I discovered that he was Gene Kirkwood and that he had produced The Idol Maker. <laughs> uh, I was cool. beyond excited. <laughs> I, of course, cornered him and asked him about it. And he was so embarrassed about the fact that he wouldn't, about that fact that he wouldn't talk to me. Oh my God, I was so excited. He just thought it was the worst movie that he had ever made or produced and was super embarrassed. <laughs> you know, I, I mean, I get that. But, you know, just because if you do something you're not exactly like, you know, you, you wouldn't go telling everybody, doesn't mean other people didn't like it. You know, this, you know I, I would be like, wow, thank you. <laughs> you know? I, I, I mean, it didn't do well at the box office, if I remember correctly. Nobody that I know knows this movie, but I was obsessed. And I remember following down the hall, following him down the hall, like trying to get him in for me. And he just kept walking faster and faster. Uh, and he like, he ducked me every time I saw him after that. That's how bad it was. That's how bad I was, I guess, too. I was a kid, you know, I was like 22 or something like that. And he was like a, a grown up and I was absolutely fascinated. And I was just always chasing him down the hallway. I, 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 yeah, well, that, that's a shame because, you know, I, I, I would have been like, no matter what you do, if somebody's praising you for what you did, be gracious. Just you know? take it. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. So the real Fabian, Fabian Forte, filed a $64 million lawsuit against the film, alleging defamation and invasion of privacy. Oh, maybe, Forte, maybe, maybe that's why he didn't want to talk about maybe, it. Maybe, maybe. I don't even know wow. when that was. Um, I, I think it was, well, yeah, who knows? Forte, who was a teen idol of the late 50s and early 60s, had been managed by Bob Marchu Marchucci, having served as the inspiration for the character of Guido slash Cesar. Forte claimed the film made him look like a total manufactured singer, a mere pretty face without any singing ability or acting talent, which is kind of true of the movie. I was going to say he, that, that, that not too much of a stretch. <laughs> I'm, that, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. I'm just saying, you know. That, yeah, yeah. He went on to say they settled out of court requiring that he, his wife, and family receive apologies in The Hollywood Reporter and Variety magazine. And Marchucci's 7.5% ownership of the film passed to Forte. Mm. <laughs> uh, in 2014, Variety reported that a remake of the film was in the works with Craig Brewer to direct and Justin Timberlake to produce along with the two producers of the original film, Hawk Koch and Gene Kirkwood, so he wasn't that scarred from it. Uh, the remake never materialized, and I happen to be very grateful for that because just leave it alone. You, you can't, when, when you've got something perfect, don't mess with it. It's just right. It's cheeky and funny and goofy. And, I mean, it's not supposed to be goofy. It's supposed to be this really serious story, you know, but it's, it's just... Uh, kitschy and and great and it, you can't remake a film like that because it's going to come off too kitschy or too serious you know what i mean it's hard to capture that again yeah, so yeah no don't 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 mess with it if it ain't broke don't fix it 
Yeah. I, I'm yeah, not, I'm absolutely. Not, I'm not a good, I'm not a big fan of remakes of, of, of movies. I don't mind, you know, music. People want to, you know, cover and, you know, a song and do their take on it. That's okay. Because it's usually only about, you know, no more than four minutes long. You know, if you're going to make a, a, a two hour movie out of something that's already been made, I'm not, I, I, no, I don't have that time. No, I, Especially if you like the first one. Right. I, I don't have yeah. time for that. No. I'm really tempted to tell you the ending. And I think I might because, because nobody's ever going to watch it and well, it's well, not well, streaming. Spoiler alert, but go ahead. Yeah. We're, <laughs> we're, we're safe now. We're covered. I don't think it really affects anything, but Ray Sharkey, who plays the manager guy all through the movie. I mean, you can tell that like his burning desire, his love in life is music and that's all he wants to do. But he tries to do it by creating other people um, as, you know, pop idols. And at the end, you see that he is playing piano and he is playing a performance in front of people and it's so he's so happy and it's so lovely <laughs> i love when people get their dreams i'm gonna say when their <laughs> dreams come true oh yeah uh, i love that anyway i'm sure you would hate this movie neil no not if you watched it with me i think <laughs> I, I, yeah, I would well, I would get up and dance and sing to every song and that you would hate that <laughs> well, I, I just you know kind of like get closer to the TV or something so I you know <laughs> or, or put my hands up so I didn't see you dancing and just watch the... no I wouldn't so let's play a song I promise I won't sing through it but let's play a song we gotta play the song okay. it's so good let's give a big Rochester welcome to Mr. Tommy D
So that's lip syncing. <laughs> he was Millie Vanilli before it was a thing. <laughs> I think that's how they used to do it, at least in, in some places. You know, this was, as you heard in the beginning, I think it's a club in Rochester and it's all teen, you know, it's a teen club and mm. there's all these. And, and those, those, things, those things were, you know, that was big back at, at that time that they had clubs just for teenagers, you know, like that they couldn't get into a real club because they weren't old enough. So, right. so they would have teen nights. Yeah. Yeah. And um, the kid, he's a young, he's like a 15 year old kid who skips the record by accident. He's reaching for his soda or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> knocks the needle. And Tommy, who's the, it's his first time on stage, freaks out. And Ray Sharkey comes over and is like, you got this. You got this. Just look at her in the eyes. Just pick a girl. Look her in the eyes. They love you. <laughs> oh, do you want me to recite the entire movie to you? <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I get the gist of it, but that that was, that was funny. Yeah. The, you know, uh, oops, <laughs> oops, the record's skipping. How do you? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, it didn't really skip. If it had skipped, that would have been even funnier if he had to keep you know, <laughs> repeating the line. You know. Yeah. Anyway, that's from The Idol Maker. And I, I don't know how you're ever going to see it. But if you ever do, I want to hear about it. Okay. Because I just love it. I, I can see why you like that. I, I really, <laughs> it, it takes place in the late 50s, but it, the movie was made in the like early 80s. It's, it's totally like '80s pop music, or you know, yeah. power pop music. It, it's totally, yeah, and I it, and I know you, and that's right in your wheelhouse. So absolutely, <laughs> and I don't mind it either. But you know, I, I don't mind it either at all. But uh, I, I totally see why you like it, and I I give it a thumbs up. Okay, okay. Well, <laughs> you know, maybe I'll get it out of my storage unit, and we can all watch it. <laughs> that would be fun. Yeah. All right, we can we can squeeze one more in, I think. Um, let's do that thing you do. Mm. And this is from movieweb.com in Tom Hanks' directorial debut, That Thing You Do, The Wonders are a 1960s pop band who win a local talent show and erupt into major stardom. Led by actor Jonathan Shack as lead singer Jimmy, they grow from their talent show roots into beloved talented musicians in the movie they only had one hit but it was a great one and it actually appeared on real music charts and the group is a perfect tribute to the 1960s era of pop according to the ringer.com tom hanks was only seven years old when the beatles made their american debut on the ed sullivan ed sullivan show <laughs> just a few months removed from john f kennedy's assassination the world was a dark gray and lonely place hank remembers but he found an escape in the british band's music as it filtered through his dad's volkswagen and sister's clock radio it was a joyful sound says hanks who followed the band's world tour from afar through throughout 1964 Later that year, as the band embarked on a trip to Australia, Ringer Starr came down with tonsillitis. Instead of canceling the tour, manager Brian Epstein tapped English drummer Jimmy Nickel as a replacement for the eight shows. For three decades, Hank couldn't get the story out of his head. 
that had definitely stuck in my craw because I thought, what was this guy's life for a while? And this is what inspired Tom Hanks to write it. Roger Ebert of the Chicago Sun-Times gives it three out of four and wrote the movie maybe inconsequential, but in some ways that's a strength. Without hauling in a lot of deep meanings, it remembers a great warmth of, at a time and a place. I feel I, ha I have to play the obvious song. It's the band's one hit, so that's the <laughs> song we're going to play. I'm sure you all have heard it. I think it's interesting that it was written and composed for the film by Adam Schlesinger, the basis for Fountains of Wayne, and released on the film's soundtrack. The song became an actual hit for The Wonders in 1996. The song peaked at number 41 on the Billboard Hot 100. So here is That Thing You Do by The Wonders. It's really funny because that's not a song I would typically put on a playlist or go reach out to play. And when I hear it, it always sounds so good. <laughs> it, it, that is such a great song. It really is. Yeah. And I really enjoyed that movie on many levels because, well, like you were saying, I remember that era too. I was around the same age as Tom Hanks when he was describing it. Uh, he said, what, seven years old? Right. Uh, I was like probably eight. You know, so very similar memories of that whole you know not distinct just but because i was pretty young then but it was it was a vibe and and it, and i saw that movie and the way it was shot and, and and all the scenery it was just like almost famous and and um velvet goldmine the the scenes the scenery the it was perfect it was it the was costuming it was right right as i remembered it and yeah I, I was like watching it i was like wow I, I, it blew me away and then and the story is also it, it it's almost like a universal story it could it could be any of those one hit wonder bands which really where the term began was in the 60s all those groups that came out like that i'm sure they all have a very similar story to that where they you know struggled to get to the top and 
when they make it, they do the next logical thing. They break up. And, and, then, right. you know, <laughs> and, and, and all those one hit wonders bands, they might have only had one hit, but you're right. They worked really hard to get there and they have written a lot of other songs and played and recorded a lot of other songs because because you had to do albums. You know, you couldn't just put a song on Spotify and like oh, right, be a rock yeah. star. I mean, you, you could have the hit single, but then you had to follow it up with. And a lot of times they would just they would do covers of whatever popular song was you know, or the popular songs at the time, a lot of them, I'm sure, because they were probably playing at what we mentioned before, these like teen clubs and stuff. They didn't have enough original material. So they'd play all the, you know, the stuff that all the kids knew, you know, in this mid, early, mid sixties, they were probably playing Louie Louie and, and, and all that stuff. And uh, so they would do their version of Louie Louie. And that would be, you know, and fill up the whole album you know, the 12 songs, they'd have the, the A side, the hit, and the B side, whatever that happened to be. And the rest was, you know. Filler. Filler. <laughs> and you know what? They had to they had to work hard to get, to record all that filler. I mean, that that's not a, you know, that's not a oh, one day in the studio kind of thing. Heck no. No, they, they were legit, but like a lot of these kids weren't prepared for the pressures that they were going to be under. And, it, you know, not, not that anybody, not, not that grownups could, you know, handle that instant stardom particularly well. So you can't expect a, basically a teenager to act all, you know, no, they, they, they probably all freaked out and that's what happened. Yeah, and, yeah. And you know what? Things were moving fast then. They just went on to the next thing, you know, and boom, the, the next big one hit wonder and the next and the next. And we love them all. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so that's part one of our movies about fake bands, because uh, we have a ton more. So that's clearly what we're going to be doing next week as well. I love this topic. <laughs> um, me too. Me too. It's so much fun. So, so much fun. So definitely make sure that you check out next week's podcast as well, because there's going to be more movies that you're going to know. And I hope you're writing them all down, all the ones that you don't know, because you should see them all. You should. If, if you're into this kind of thing. And I hope you are. because these are great. This is great stuff. It's great stuff. Anyway, okay. Uh, we should go. And... Uh, We'll see you next week and go watch a movie. Hudsonriverradio.com.